This is Phil's Audio Experience. Hi, and thanks so much for tuning in. I'm going to jump right into it because I see lots of stuff going on and uh, it's really stunning how the world is again upside down on a macro scale and it will remain upside down for the foreseeable future. And it's really interesting to me that uh, just as many of the organizations and companies out there um, after two years of COVID, they adapted to remote work, they adapted to supply chain uncertainties, uh, to an economy where entire industries were going out of business overnight. And now we've just just come back to normal in early 22. And then everything in Eastern Europe started um, boiling up and we see the basically same level of uncertainty coming up again. And again, we see that organizations are struggling to adapt. And what's interesting is that over the past half year or so, we've seen that individuals and people have been taking matters into their own hands. So for example, when we look to the US, we see a huge wave of people quitting their jobs. And um, what I'm wondering is when everybody's quitting is where are they going? Because when everybody's quitting then and everybody's thinking they're going to find their new dream job, then where are those places or those companies um, that are different than the ones they just left? And it seems that there's already a kind of a backslash movement um, because for many people that just you know quit and found, found something new, it turns out this paradise does not exist. And there's already these rumors that the great resignation will actually be remembered as a great regret. Um, because and I mean, that makes sense, because when I look at this, then most organizations are built very similarly, because even if you have some specific power structures, you know, some companies may have uh, flat hierarchies, may, some may have more strict hierarchies, uh, some of the company objectives differ, uh, some of the conventions or some call it culture, they may be different. But at the end of the day, they're still companies, they're still operating in the same market and the a similar job will still uh, basically entail similar tasks. So if you're in sales, you will still do sales. If you're managing social media, obviously you're still managing social media. If you're a leader, you still lead the company. And if you're a controller, you still have a very similar set of KPIs that you're controlling for. So ultimately, most of those job changes that experienced professionals um, perform, they come with an expectation that everything will be different at a new job. And at the same time, people only change just a few parameters and hope that those few kind of screws that they drive a bit, that they will somehow change the entire picture. And I mean, looking at it from above, you see that it's, I mean, it's very easily observable that people grossly overestimate um, how much of their internal state or their happiness will change when they change some of these external circumstances. And what I find interesting about this is that when even an individual has such struggle to see how a few changes or overestimates how some of those few changes uh, will affect the future. So basically they have a huge bias in perceiving um, how that future will turn out to be. Then how are people supposed to be able to oversee the more complex things they do in organizations? So for example, when they transform an entire organization and then they're again um, kind of estimating that by changing a few things, you know, the outcome will fundamentally turn their business uh, upside down and help them to uh, operate and work in a whole new way. And I mean, one of the most obvious fields where that's happening is when people, not people, when organizations 
are initiating digital transformations because there's always this imagination that you add a few tools and then all of a sudden somehow you have with, a uh, with an overseeable investment a huge outcome that somehow reforms your business and you know makes you more competitive and yeah basically it makes you a key player in the market and the relevance of this is i mean it's very difficult to overstate it because it's really high up on the agenda of pretty much every organization and i mean there's huge misunderstandings there and this is what i like to call the digital sisyphean cycle because when I look at how that works, then typically someone usually uncovers some potential for optimization in an organization. And obviously they do, I mean, they perceive some digital solution to be the solution to leverage that optimization. And so then they go ahead and look at some tools, select some, uh, what they call the best tool according to, to some criteria that they came up uh, with in a, just a couple of workshops, and they go ahead and implement it. And once that tool is there, they start training people to basically move their processes, their analog um, real-world processes to be performed in a tool. And what usually happens is that these tasks can be carried out much faster. However, very soon what they see is that there's a whole new set of things, uh, complexities that revolve around the new tool that have to be done. And this is usually administrational on the one hand and also, uh, let's say, translational. So basically to explain to other parts of the organization what they're supposed to do to interact with you now. Um, so they need more and more effort to bridge those gaps between business areas and functions. And this is what I call one of the cycles. And um, after this first cycle is complete, so they built the tool, they implemented it, and uh, they have now they are now running it. And then somehow uh, they will find that this tool may or may not be difficult to operate in the environment that it's in. So um, all of a sudden you have a need to also look at your surrounding and uh, basically start cycle all over again. Now from the second run though, there is one very noteworthy difference because in the first cycle, the focus was still on optimizations of the actual business processes. So that means the actual value creation of the organization. Now in the second cycle, the scope is usually around somehow reducing administrational overhead. So in the first cycle, what you have is typically some external people that are building your tool. They're talking to the experts in your organization. And in the second cycle, you already need new experts for some new tool you need that are talking to the old experts and um, of the, of also external people uh, while involving some of the business people, of course, uh, to somehow keep it relevant for the business. And um, so basically what happened is that the discussion that you're having is not about value creation anymore, but it's about fighting systemic complexity. And when you have a very large organization, one of these cycles, I mean, they're not in weeks, they're usually taking, let's say, a year, even two years, or even more, depending on how com complex that digitization effort is. So after two or three cycles, it's very common that people really lose track of how this digitization actually contributes to your overall organizational goals. And on top of that, when you see at how quickly technology evolves after two or three, four cycles, usually your original tool stack is already outdated and you need even more administrative overhead to replace that original tool stack. So the question here is, 
if that's just how it is, if you really need all that complexity to fight the complexity of your organization. And in order to answer this, um, let's assume for a moment that instead of implementing tool stacks that shift your complexities from operations to some digital level, to some administration level, imagine that you could focus your transformational efforts on improving the value generation and then find the right tools and use them to the means towards the right ends. So that means instead of fighting increasing levels of administrative overhead, you would relaunch a set of processes to make that overhead manageable and dispensable in the first place. So basically, instead of bending cutting-edge tech to somehow fit into your processes that are typically outdated by the time that tech exists, now you would be able to purposely, uh, purposefully redesign your value chain around this new tech. So basically, you would build your enterprise of the future around delivering customer value instead of putting all your efforts into bringing more and more um, you know, basically tech into your organization. And the interesting thing is you can achieve this. So the solution is to instead of um, kind of digitizing single processes and focusing on process improvements, to purpose, uh, purposefully rebuild your enterprise architecture. So your answer specifically lies in enterprise engineering. And to imagine uh, what it means to skip enterprise engineering, just, you know, it's like going to the gym and skipping leg day. You can do this, and when you do bench pressing, you will be much faster at, your, at progressing with your weights. But eventually, obviously, an eight-year-old can outrun you on your way to the ice cream stand. Because skipping, uh, because basically you've, you've uh, neglected a part of your training. So when you skip enterprise engineering, you will make some pockets of your enterprise lightning fast but you allow any competitor that has a broader vision and that focuses on bringing the entire organization um, on par with their latest tech to really outmaneuver you on the broader market. And if you wanna understand where things are kind of cracking down, let's take a step back because there's actually two um, more abstract concepts you need to understand. The first is the actual difference between digital and analog, and it's probably not what you think. And the second is the fundamental engineering principle of abstraction, and also that one will not be as boring as it sounds. So if we look at the first one, that's the difference between digital and analog, uh, let's have a look at a definition of digital, because it is recording or storing information as a series of the numbers one and zero. So. Basically, when you think of scanning a piece of paper and storing it on a computer, if you think that is what digitization means, you are partly right. Because technically it's true, but it's often missing the point. Because the whole point of digitizing an object is to enable what they call multi-purpose interactions. So when you look at digital processes, most of them are stored as ones and zeros, but you will still need people to to run through a defined set of steps to carry out the process itself. So basically, when you do this kind of digitization, what you create is an analog process that just happens to be stored in a digital medium. So if that sounds really strange, then let me give you an example. So let's say you scan a piece of paper and it's being stored in a computer. Did you digitize it? Yes and no. So your storage solution is now digital. However, if your purpose was to send that document to multiple people and someone 
ends up manually creating a number of emails and then putting in text and attaching the document to each single email, you basically have created an analog process that is just accidentally being carried out while using a computer. So if you imagine this task to send out that piece of paper to a bunch of people, then you could follow a less digital solution, but that would be much more efficient. You could simply put that piece of paper on a copy machine and then let a bunch, a batch of copies run through a folding and inserting machine and then just send that out um, with a mail. So to give you another example, that's also a very good story for the next party. When you look at a physical abacus, that's actually a digital multi-purpose device that has been around for millennia because you can use it for any kind of digital calculation even though it's moving physical objects around. At the same time, when you take a computer chip that was specifically designed for blockchain calculations, yes, that runs on electricity and it uses ones and zeros for the calculation, but the calculation is so specific that it's actually an analog calculation that happens to run on electricity. Now, you will now, probably ask how this all is related to digital transformation of an entire organization. And before we go into this, let's move into abstraction for just a moment. So when you're building any system or programming a software, you're always building something that needs to complete a series of tasks. And each of those tasks require a series of steps. And basically, you always, on a very basic level, have three layers in such a system. At the very lowest level, you have a routine that just goes through the steps that you require to complete a task. Now, when you think about an organization, such a routine is typically represented by an employee who follows a certain process. And mostly when people talk about digitization, what they mean is they look at such a process and want to replace either parts or all of that process by using a computer. When you go one level higher, that's layer two, when you, uh, that's where you need a routine that is required to understand the problem space. So basically this routine already manages the routines of layer one. In an organization, this is exactly what a team lead does. Is, and some digitization efforts try to you know, aim at this level of managerial um, complexity, um, but most actually also reach your limitations here. And when you look at layer three, and this is at least for the purpose of the scope we have here, this is the highest level of abstraction um, this is a routine that solves a problem that it's given independently um, or it completes a task by directing the routines in layer two. So this is what a manager does in an organization that also takes a decision of how to prioritize resources and how to, uh, how to approach problems. And usually when organizations try to digitize on this level, you will encounter resistance because Typically, when you are at this level, you have people that are very experienced, that have five, six, seven, ten, however many years of experience, and they will tell you that whatever they're doing is too complex to be digitized. And I mean, it's funny because it's usually not. Um, but the point is, all of this digital, or almost all of the digital transformation efforts, they focus on layer one. Very few aspire to go to the middle management layer and then extremely rarely you will see that someone is actually trying to digitize something complex in layer three. Now, when we keep all of this abstraction in mind, um, there's one famous quote that's worth mentioning. It's from the uh, computer science world and that's all problems in computer science can be solved by another level of indirection. And what that means is when people talk about indirection and software engineering, this is the concept of building highly decoupled components 
and each of those components is built to perform a separate task. Now, this is indirection. Abstraction is a concept used by engineers to create reusable multi-purpose modules that can be used across their system. And when you think about it, this is exactly how your digital transformation typically sounds like, right? So what you're doing is you build reusable decoupled components within your organization. Now, there's one key difference here between your organization and the leading practices in system engineering. Because what the system engineers do, they build an architecture first and then they start building the components. And they document all of this very clearly. So whenever any routine within that system needs to call one of the components, they can do it across the system. What you have in organizational transformations is that these components and modules, they are built somewhere across the organization and they're almost always organized very locally. But when you look globally in the organization, they are decoupled, but it doesn't stop there. They're also completely disconnected and pretty much unfindable unless someone specifically knows what they're looking for. So instead of that very homogeneous top-down architecture where you can find everything, what you get is in the end is this kind of heap of different tools, standards and practices. So basically what you want to do is you want to transform your transformations. And when you think about how that can be done, it can be done in three steps. So first, you need to bridge the gap between your expert knowledge and your leadership vision. And what you need for that at the very first step, and this is very similar to what most people are doing now, is you need a very deep understanding of the business processes. But once you have that, then in order to build this solid, solid foundation for your trans uh, transformation, you need to first determine how those single processes contribute to the overall value creation of the organization. And once you have clarity on this, you can follow a top-down approach to work out how that transformation will increase your ultimate value delivery. And this is one of the key differences because typically people go bottom-up, they look at single processes, digitize those, um, and go from there. And we want to do that the other way around. So once you have that top-down approach, you want to consolidate those findings into a specific desired business outcome or multiple that your transformation is supposed to achieve. Now that gets us to step two. Step two is before, again, before you go into any specific digitization efforts, you want to construct an enterprise architecture and design your to-be organizational model. And again, you want to do that top down. Because what you want to do is you want to use those organizational objectives from step one and first merge those into an organizational model that and this model that can accommodate these digital solutions that you want to build ultimately. So the key is to is your ability to put your desired business outcomes uh, to transform those down to the organization level and then derive the specific requirements for your digital solution. So again, to sum it up, instead of digitizing your single processes and hoping that it will somehow turn up to form this big picture that you're aiming for, you need to remain on this level of abstraction that allows you to keep your focus on building your enterprise architecture around your core value creation. So you really want to stay out of that detailed process level for now. So what you need for this in terms of capabilities, obviously enterprise architecture capabilities, um, and you need to be very, very clear on the differences between your target operating model and your organizational design.
And it seems like once you have all of that, you're pretty much done. Uh, however, step three is to be very confident and very decisive in how you lead that change. And this is very, can get really tricky because once you have step one and step two covered, you have your vision established, you have your goals defined, and you have your organizational design, um, then it will seem almost trivial to select and implement the right tools uh, to get to your business outcomes because everything will be very clear. However, what you'll see is that you'll have significant backlash in, across your organization because, and actually what's noteworthy is that this is usually more broad than usual because this time what you're changing is not only what you do on a process level, but it's most likely at this point about how you do business in the first place. And it's very tempting to go and once you're, you know, when you turn everything upside down anyway, to go into the organizational why, into the purpose. Because when if you're doing the how and the what anyway, so why would you stop there? So when you, uh, when you get to this point, it's really important that um, to keep in mind that with all those changes that you're making, this will give you a lot of persistence across the organization. And it's absolutely essential to have a basis for argumentation that you can stand on firmly throughout this process. Because when you have logic that sounds something like, well, the board decided so we're going to do it, that's not, that's not going to give you acceptance throughout the organization. So basically, whenever people are dragging you to politics, to if you're trying to somehow do their power plays or stake your claim, and there, or you know, there will be tons of concerns that sounds like, but what if? Whenever that happens, you need to be able to guide the discussion back to a level where people can find common ground and agree on. And that level is your organizational purpose. That your organizational purpose, it gives you a really good line of argument for why the different aspects of your transformation are necessary. And this organizational why will help you to stay your course. Now, if you keep that in mind, if you cannot come up with a good three minute pep talk that connects your purpose, the organizational purpose, with the specific changes that you're pushing for, then it may be wise to revisit your plans. Because once you're in the middle, once you're in the middle of things and you feel this kind of urge to change your organizational why to fit your goals, basically what you're doing is you're opening up a flank that will catch you cold once you're deep in your actual change process. So either change the planned outcomes of your transformation, or if you figure that in step one and two, then revisit your why, your organizational purpose, and once you have that set, then begin with step one. Now, whichever of those paths you take, if you're a leader, your responsibility is to lead the people with confidence and decisiveness. And it's important to stay empathetic because you will have a, a large and late majority and obviously the typical laggards. But keep in mind that those are the people, they're usually the ones that are longest in the organization. And often they're those that are most, most fiercely objecting to your changes. But at the same time, those are the people that are really the backbone of your organization because they carry this deep expert knowledge that comes along with those long years of being with the organization.